Well, we're continuing our studies in the book of Leviticus. So turn with me to Leviticus chapter 16. You know what's so cool? Oh, thank you. (laughs) No, what's cool is when everything seems to work out together in God's providence. This morning, if you weren't with us in Discipleship Hour, again, I'm going to encourage you, come out. Because here, we study the scriptures together. You get to ask questions or make a statement of input as we begin to share amongst the knowledge of the saints, particularly as the scripture has revealed to us. But not only that, today is the Lord's table that we get to participate in. And as you'll notice, there are a lot of things starting from this morning's discipleship hour to Leviticus 16 and all its implications, as well as how that points to the Lord's table. And so I invite you to join me. Leviticus chapter 16, we'll be looking at the whole chapter. Now, the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they had approached the presence of the Lord and died. The Lord said to Moses, tell your brother Aaron that he shall not enter at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat, which is on the ark, or he will die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. Aaron shall enter the holy place with this, with a bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen tunic, and the linen undergarments shall be next to his body. He shall be girded with the linen sash and attire with the linen turban. These are the holy garments. Then he shall bathe his body in water and put them on. He shall take from the congregation of the sons of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. Then Aaron shall offer the bull for the sin offering, which is for himself, that he may make atonement for himself and for his household. He shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the doorway of the tent of meeting. Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. Then Aaron shall offer the goat on which the lot for the Lord fell on and make it a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot for the scapegoat fell shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement upon it, to send it into the wilderness as the scapegoat. Then Aaron shall offer the bull of the sin offering, which is for himself and make atonement for himself and for his household. And he shall slaughter the bull of the sin offering which is for himself. He shall take a fire pan full of coals of fire from upon the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of finely ground sweet incense and bring it inside the veil. He shall put the incense on the fire before the Lord that the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is on the ark of testimony. Otherwise, he will die. Moreover, he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his fingers on the mercy seat on the east side. Also in front of the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. 
Then he shall slaughter the goat of the sin offering, which is for the people, and bring its blood inside the veil, and do with its blood, as he did with the blood of the bull, and sprinkle it on the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. He shall make atonement for the holy place because of the impurities of the sons of Israel and because of their transgressions in regard to all their sins. And thus he shall do for the tent of meeting which abides with them in the midst of their impurities. When he goes in to make atonement in the holy place, no one shall be in the tent of meeting until he comes out that he may make atonement for himself and for his household and for all the assemblies of Israel. Then he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it, and he shall take some of the blood of the bull and of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar on all sides. With his fingers he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it seven times and cleanse it, and from the impurities of the son of Israel consecrated. When he finishes atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall offer the live goat. Then Aaron shall lay both of his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the son of Israel and all their transgression in regard to all their sins. And he shall lay them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who stands in readiness. The goat shall bear on itself all the iniquities to a solitary land. And he shall release the goat in the wilderness. Then Aaron shall come into the tent of meeting and take off the linen garments which he put on when he went into the holy place and shall leave them there. He shall bathe his body with water in a holy place and put on his clothes and come forth and offer his burnt offering and the burnt offering of the people and make atonement for himself and for the people. Then he shall offer up in smoke the fat of the sin offering on the altar. The one who releases the goat as a scapegoat shall wash his clothes and bathe his body with water. Then afterwards, he shall come into the camp. But the bull of the sin offering and the goat of the sin offering, whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place, shall be taken outside to the camp. And they shall burn their hides, their flesh, and their refuse in the fire. Then the one who burns them shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water. Then afterwards he shall come into the camp. This shall be a permanent statue for you in the seventh month on the tenth day of the month. You shall humble your souls and not do any work, whether the native or the alien who sojourns among you. For it is on this day that atonement shall be made for you to cleanse you. You will be clean from all your sins before the Lord. It is to be a Sabbath of solemn rest for you, that you may humble your souls. It is a permanent statue. So the priest who is anointed and ordained to serve as priest in his father's place shall make atonement. He shall thus put on the linen garment, 
the holy garment and make atonement for the holy sanctuary. And he shall make atonement for the tent of meeting and for the altar. He shall also make atonement for the priests and for all the people of the assemblies. Now you shall have this as a permanent statue to make atonement for the sons of Israel for all their sins once every year. And just as the Lord had commanded Moses, so he did. Well, that was a long reading. (laughs) And I am glad that I got through it. (laughs) I did that for a reason. It's because since the first chapter of Leviticus, we've been witness to these rituals one after the other which honestly seems to take place on a daily basis. But now comes this ritual. It's a ritual that's scheduled yearly, just once a year, and it involves the high priest performing his solitary duties, such as bathing, putting on a lemon garment, making sacrifices, burnt offerings, and sprinkling blood, it seems, everywhere. Then transferring sins to a goat and letting it go far into the wilderness to take away the sins of the people. Are you struggling to understand what's going on around here? Well, let me see if I can help you. I'll give you this picture. After the long winter months have subsided, my family and I regularly engage in what turns out to be a comprehensive cleaning that now has turned into a yearly ritual, right? It's called spring cleaning, right? We, like many of you, take the time to go around the whole house and just scour it into shape. We take out the old, the used up stuff, the dirty items, whether it be clothing and furniture and appliances that we plan no longer to use of, and we dispose of them. This occurs because during the winter months, our home, well, during the winter months, we limit our activities to the home because of the cold weather outside. Our house begins to look a little bit more dingy and worn. And at this point, a simple tidying will never do. Putting objects into place doesn't make a difference. Instead, at this point, what we're going to do is get rid of the built-up dust, the stains, the stale air as we pop open the windows from the long winter spent inside, particularly as we trafficked all that dirt, snow, and salt into our home. We use a mop buckets of water, cleaning agents, air fresheners, and a lot of magic erasers. Now, would it surprise you that in the law God gave Israel through Moses, God himself instructed the people to clean his house once a year for the same reason? How did that work? And what does it have to do with us believers today? Well, at first reading of this chapter, you may have missed it because of much we have already read seems to be repeated right here in Leviticus 16. But looking closer, it's obvious what's happening. 
And even looking closer still, something amazing is revealed. In Leviticus chapter 16, verse 32 and 33, just go right to that verse. You'll see that it says, The priest who is anointed and ordained to serve as priest in his father's place shall make atonement. He shall thus put on linen garments, the holy garments, and make atonement for the holy sanctuary. And he shall make atonement for the tent of meeting and for the altar. He shall also make atonement for the priests and for all the people of the assembly. In the instructions in this chapter, we are given, which is, often, which is called the Day of Atonement, or known as Yom Kippur, God appoints a cleaning, not only for people, but also for his tabernacle. Remember, the tabernacle is his portable temple. Why did God's house need cleaning, though? Well, at the center of Leviticus, chapter 16, we see prescribed for this day is a sin offering brought into the holies of holy in the innermost room of the tabernacle, God's portable dwelling place. It reads like this from verse 15 to 19. Then he shall slaughter the goat of the sin offering, which is for the people, and bring its blood inside the veil to do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull and sprinkle it on the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. He shall make atonement for the holy place because of the impurities. Some of your translation says because of the uncleansiness of the sons of Israel and because of their transgression in regards to all their sins. And thus he shall do for the tent of meeting which abides with them in their midst of their impurities when he goes to make atonement in the holy place. See, this was the only time when anybody was permitted to enter the holies of holies. And only the high priest was granted entry. The high priest was instructed to kill the goat of the sin offering, collect its bowl, its blood in a bowl, then enter the holy of holies and sprinkle that collected blood over and in front of the mercy seat. But to what effect? Well, this was God's version of disinfection. Again, we read in the 16th verse, He shall make atonement for the holy place because of the impurities of the sons of Israel and because of their transgressions in regards to all their sins. And of course, what happens in the innermost room happens to the whole. And thus shall he do for the tent of meeting, which abides with them in the midst of their impurities. Leviticus 16 teaches us sin not only burdens us with guilt, but it also stains us with whatever we touch. Sin makes us both unclean and transmitters of impurities. Through the tabernacle, God dwelt with the Israelites in a special way. But their sin came between them and God. The people's sin dirtied God's house. It threatened to push him away. The God who graciously chose to dwell with them. 
I will dwell among the, sin, the sons of Israel, and I will be their God. They shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. Exodus 29, verses 45 and 46. Again, Leviticus 16 begins with a somber recollection of the sins of Aaron's sons who died offering strange fire, as it was called. And it's one example of why this deep cleansing is needed. None of the people of Israel is without sin. None of the priests, none of the lay people, and whatever they touch became stained with their impurities and uncleansiness. So this divided, this divinely appointed yearly cleaning of God had two effects. Number one, the Day of Atonement purged God's people and it purged God's place. We see both in Leviticus chapter 16 verse 33, he shall make an atonement for the tent of meeting and for the altar and he shall also make atonement for the priests and for all the people of the assemblies. But sin problems go even deeper than what Leviticus 16 tells us. Israel's sins eventually piled up so much to such an extent that as the Lord warned in advance, the land would vomit them out. Turn me to Leviticus chapter 18, looking at four verses of 24 through 28. It reads as follows. Do not defile yourselves by any of these things, for by all these the nation which I am casting out before you have become defiled. For the land has become defiled, therefore I have brought its punishment upon it, so that the land has spewed out its inhabitants. But as for you, you are to keep my statues and my judgment, and shall not do any of these abominations, neither the native nor the aliens who sojourn among you. For the men of the land who have been before you have all done these abominations, and the land has become defiled, so that the land will not spew you out, should you defile it, it as it has spewed out the other nations which has been before you. Now ultimately, the sins and defilement that Israel committed drove the Lord far from his sanctuary. Exactly the topic that we've been looking at today within our discipleship hour as we've taken an overview of the book of Ezekiel. In judgment, God's glory departed from his sanctuary. And although God restored his people and enabled them to rebuild their temple, the underlying condition of sin persisted. That's why Leviticus 18 that we just read said, warned them of being spewed out. Again, do not defile yourself by any of these things, for by all these the nations which I am casting out before you have become defiled, for the land has become defiled. Therefore, I have brought its punishment upon it so that the land has spewed out its inhabitants. It's an interesting thing, right? Because today, the pollution that God is concerned about 
is not whether, you know, we replace fossil fuels. I'm not making a political statement, all right? I'm just saying the pollution he's concerned about is with the defilement of sin. Sin which pollutes the land. Sin which pollutes his tabernacle. Sin which pollutes his people. And because of that, and the reasons for not ridding themselves of these sins, God will spew them out. In Ezekiel chapter 8, for instance, verse 6, Son of man, do you see what they are doing? The great abomination which this house of Israel are committing here, so that I would be far from my sanctuary? But yet, you will see still greater abomination. Talk about running God out. In Ezekiel's chapter 10, verse 18 and 19, the progression gets even worse. Why? Because here we see God literally, quote unquote, abandoned ship. Then the glory of the Lord departed from the threshold of the temple and stood over the cherubim when the cherubim departed. They lifted their wings and rose up from the earth in my sight with the wheels beside them and stood still at the entrance of the east gate of the Lord's house and the glory of the Lord and the glory of the God of Israel hovered over them. So sin persisted, that is, until Jesus came to deliver us. As Hebrew tells us, the fact that the day of atonement had to be repeated yearly, year after year, signals that it wasn't the final solution to sin. Hebrews chapter 10, 1. Turn with me there. Listen to what the author of Hebrews says. For since the law has but a shadow of good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifice, sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. But that is just what Jesus came to do. Make perfect those who draw near. On the cross, Jesus gave his life for ours, paying the price we deserve for our sins, echoing what we, what we see in Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood by reason of the life that makes atonement. And of course, Hebrews 9.22, very familiar passage to us, reminds us that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. In his death, Jesus bore the sins of many, as Hebrews 9.28 tells us. And then on the third day, he rose from the dead, thereby obtaining, quote, the power of an indestructible life. Hebrews chapter 7, 17 tells us that. Now pay attention here because this is very, a very important connection. It's what I was alluding to at the very start of my message. Jesus then did what the high priest on Yom Kippur only foreshadowed. He entered God's holy of holies in heaven 
and presented himself there to the Father as the perfect, sufficient, once and for all sacrifice. Only in light of what we've seen in our passage in Leviticus 16 do passages like the following make sense. Hebrews 9, 24 through 26. For Christ did not enter a holy place made with hands, a mere copy of the true one, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us, nor was it that he would offer himself often as the high priest enters the holy place year by year with blood that's not his own. Otherwise, he would have needed to suffer often since the foundation of the world, but now once at the consummation of the ages, he has been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifices, sacrifice of himself. Is that not an amazing connection back to Leviticus chapter 16? Jesus himself is the reality of what happened. Everything that we read in Leviticus chapter 16 is but a mere copy, a foreshadowing, a picture of the reality that will happen when Jesus shows up. Amen? It's amazing. He entered the holy place, not made of hands. Again, he entered into a place that was merely a copy. He entered the place that wasn't merely a copy, but the true one into heaven itself. I often think of Genesis, the fall of man. When Adam and Eve disobeyed God and they ran from him, they tried to hide because they were naked and ashamed. And in their attempt to cover their own sins, what did they do? They made a covering out of fig leaves to cover their nakedness. But you know what's also amazing there? The grace of God shows up. There. God slayed the first creature. He killed it. An innocent creature minding its own business now has to give up his life to atone for the sins of Adam and Eve. And there God clothed them. Again, we see this picture just happening over and over and over and over in the scriptures. While you may get tired of it, remember, we got thick heads. And it's got to be repeated to us over and over and over and over until we get it. By the time we're done here, I hope you have more of an appreciation of the book of Hebrews and how it connects back to passages like Leviticus, to passages like Genesis, like Exodus, like Jeremiah, right? And everything that we've been reading thus far. Hebrews 9 uh, uh, Hebrews 9, verse 11 and 12. Listen to this one. But when Christ appeared as high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. 
That is to say, not of this creation and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood. He entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. I'm sure being more aware, you did catch that. Jesus is not only the high priest, but he's also the sacrifice himself. Amazing. Amazing. Everything in Leviticus 16, again, is just but a shadow of the reality that is to happen. Jesus is the high priest and he carries his own blood in order for our redemption. His blood, that by the way, he sprinkles on us. Right? It's no wonder that we have rest. It's no wonder that we need not to bring animals into this place to have myself or the pastor slaughter them. Right? Jesus being the Holy One of God paid it once for all time because his blood does what the, bull, what the blood of bulls and goats can't. This resulting effect leaves us forever clean and uncontaminated. That's why we don't do this on a yearly event like the Old Testament saints. The sons of Israel would have to be, would, I mean, beyond the daily sacrifices that we've already seen before Leviticus 16, there's this once a year sacrifice which cleans house, right? We don't have to do that anymore because Jesus' blood being so perfect left us completely clean and washed and uncontaminated. You struggle with assurance right here. This is what you need. Hebrews 9, 11. You struggle with the thought that I'm too bad. God could never save me. Do you know what type of evil I've done in my life? Hebrews 9, 11. You believe you're beyond the reach of God's salvation? Absolutely not. Hebrews 9, 11. His blood is too perfect. His blood is too perfect. Amen? By entering God's dwelling in heaven and presenting himself to God, Jesus perfectly purged God's people and his place. On the cross, Jesus was slain as a spotless victim whose blood purchased our eternal life. Hebrews 9, chapter 28 uh, Hebrews 9 verse 28 says so Christ also having been offered once to bear the sins of many will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him after rising again he was then appointed high priest in the order of Melchizedek Hebrews chapter 5 verses 9 and 10 and having been made perfect, he became to all those who obeyed him the source of eternal salvation, being designated by God as high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Then after ascending into heaven, Jesus offered himself, his body, 
his blood by presenting himself alive to God in the throne room of God and his heavenly tabernacle. Again, listen to the following from Hebrews. For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, and undefiled, separated from sinners and exalted above the heaven, who does not need daily, like those high priests, to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sin and then for the sins of his people, because, of, because this he did once for all when he offered up himself. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 10 through 14. By this we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifice, which can never take away sins. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, awaiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering, he's perfected for all time those who are sanctified. You might still be asking, well, how were Old Testament saints saved? Right here, Hebrews 10, 11. How were New Testament saints saved? Right here, Hebrews 10, 11. Again, he perfected for all time those who are sanctified. That is, every believer who has ever been born, who have ever existed in every land over the entire earth at all times, he has perfected. That's your past, that's your present, and that's your future sin. God has done away with because he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. You have people who make the argument that no, 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 no. You got to work for your salvation. You got to earn it. Not according to Hebrews chapter 10, 11. You're not going to work for it. You know why? Because Jesus sat down at the right hand of God and he's not getting back up to make another sacrifice. Amen? He's done it once and for all. How many times do you have to Repent for the same sin unto salvation over and over again. Jesus paid it once. That's it. In addition to cleansing God's dwelling in heaven, Jesus' heavenly offering obtained for us perfection. We're not going to go to this, but I'll give you the addresses. Hebrews chapter 10, 14. He, he also... Uh, obtained for us redemption, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12. He obtained for us forgiveness, Hebrews chapter 10, 18. And he obtained for us unhindered access to God forever, forever. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Parts of the reading of Hebrews might be new to you. Many Christians have understood Hebrews to locate Jesus' offering exclusively on the cross. But a deeper understanding of Leviticus chapter 16 can help us understand the book of Hebrews better also. There's a common phrase Bible scholars often use about this connection between the Old Testament and the New Testament. They say that the Old Testament is revealed in the New Testament 
and the New Testament is explained in the Old Testament. And this is what we've seen here. The high point of the Day of Atonement was what the high priest did in the Holies of Holies. Hebrews itself tells us this when it reminds us that only the high priest could enter the Holy of Holies. And he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offered for himself and for the unintentional sins of the, he of the people. Hebrews chapter 9, 7. Where and when did the high priest make his offering? When he entered God's earthly inner sanctum. When did Jesus make his offering? When he entered God's heavenly inner sanctum after rising from the dead and ascending to heaven. This in no way downplays or diminishes the cross. Since the cross is where Jesus gave his life for hours, defeated death, bore the curse of the Old Testament, and inaugurated the new. By presenting himself alive in heaven, Christ presented to the Father what his death on earth accomplished. In heaven, Christ offered to God what he achieved on the cross. This is the cleansing we need far more than any spring cleaning. It's the deepest deep clean that can never need, never be repeated. What Jesus did on our behalf is so much about his grace. It's the cleaning that consecrated us sets us apart, makes us holy as he is, and none of this can be achieved any other way. Once you're enlightened of this, the reality is amazing. I continue, I, I, I encourage you actually to continue long after we're done here to examine Leviticus chapter 16 and its fulfillment in Hebrews. There are a lot that I just even didn't get to touch on because of time's sake. I don't know if you know this, but the book of Hebrews, its main message is this. Jesus is better. That's it. That's a summary. Jesus is better. Better than Moses. Better than the prophets. Better than the priest. Better than the blood of Abel. Jesus is better. Amen? But there's one more thing. What should our response be according to this wonderful, marvelous grace of God that Jesus has afforded us in his atonement? The Apostle Paul says it best in Titus. Titus chapter 2, verse 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify to himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. Amen? We have the table before us that we'll be partaking of shortly. 
Paul's instruction to Titus is a good place to start when thinking about partaking with the saints on the table as we join together. Live out for God. Deny your ungodliness. Live righteously. And remember of all things, we are continually looking for the blessed hope of our, of our Savior, Jesus, as his appearance is imminent. That's why you need to make sure of your salvation, that it's true. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Father, we do thank you for the blessed hope who is Jesus Christ. For everything that he has done for us, which you have been speaking about since the creation. We understand a little bit more now. And we pray that we will continue our studies so that when doubt come, we can squash it down. When people come who obviously don't believe and would speak against our beliefs, we can turn aside and say, no, we have decided to, uh, to believe in the report of the Lord instead. When depression come, when bouts of struggle come, may we always rely on the fact that Jesus did it all. He paid for it all. And everything that we owe is to him alone. May this sustain us, this truth of your gospel message, until the time of your coming where we will gloriously be transformed in the moment of the eyes to look like our elder brother Jesus himself. When our hearts and our mind and our spirit are reunited to a body that is holy and consecrated and will never again exhibit sin, where the toil and struggle with sin will be torn far away from us, never to be uh, uh, repeated again. Until that day, Lord, may we carry on as your blessed children, so that the rest of the world might also be blessed and encouraged by our God, who sustains us in a most visible way. Thank you, Father. Thank you for Jesus, our Savior, our Redeemer, who have consecrated us with the blood that belongs to himself. Amen.